0: Are not you excited? Yeah, I'm talking to you this morning. Man, oh man. So exciting. You get what you're excited about. We're going to talk about the uh, second chapter of of John because I we were talking about well, we were in the second chapter last week and uh, we were talking about turning the water into wine and how Jesus you know, there's symbols of Jesus all the time. Our, our idea of Jesus is often so warped, is, is so small. We have this great ability to shrink God down. Do you notice that? You, you can magnify your problems and you can shrink God down and God becomes incredibly unable to work in your life. And your problems are so big and they have such, so much authority and they're full of your circumstances and, and you just go into depression. And then you medicate and you surrender yourself to negativity, as we were hearing for, for years afterwards, because you have no muscle. You don't go to the spiritual gym. You just give up. And so there's a, there's a, a powerful need for us to, to hear the lies that we believe and destroy the lies that we might base our, our lives on truth. But the truth of God often seems unbelievable at first. It's just the way it is. Some of us, we talked about yesterday, last week, about, you know, Jesus called his disciples to follow him. And uh, we were talking about how easily it is to try only follow God when we understand. And if we only follow God when we understand, we're not going to get very far. That's like me saying, I'm not going to use a computer till I can understand how it works. I'm not going to use a cell phone till I understand how airwaves and it all works. I'm not going to use a microwave until I understand how it works. I'm not going to drive a car until I understand how it works. And none of, none of the things we do in life, well, most of them, we don't understand. Lots of stuff. And to me, one of the most valuable things about God is understanding that I don't understand. So if I don't understand, then I have to trust something else. I've got to trust his word and I've got to trust character. And then I have to allow God to show me his character because if I present to, if I project onto him character stuff that I've been through I'm going to see him as less good than he is. And I'm going to project onto him a God who punishes, I'm going to project onto him a God who keeps score. I'm going to project on him a lot of things that I wrestle with in relationships and then I'm going to say that's what God's like and he says, "No, no, no, no. no. I'm not at all like that. I'm much nicer than you think. You do not Uh, Puzzle me, disillusion me or or threaten me. And I'm here for you and I'm not against you. And so in John, when John I was talking about last week, John was the youngest disciple to follow Jesus and the oldest disciple to die. And he he wrote this gospel to tell us about the meaning. What was this thing about Jesus? What was he doing? Because he knew the other gospels existed. And so he was of saying this is what it means so in john's gospel you have all kinds of symbolic language so when he talks about coming in and uh, on the third day they went to a wedding in cana that third day was significant because it was the third day of the crucifixion resurrection all of that stuff there's always these meanings flowing in and so we talked about how jesus was present at a, at a, at a wedding and his mother said uh, you know do whatever he tells you and jesus said it's not my time and uh, it probably was God, at the father and the mother, having a bit of a joke with Jesus because it said, honey, it is your time, now step into it. And very quietly he gave directives and the water was turned into wine as they drew it. And then after that, and, and he just did it because he could. It, you'll hear lots of people doing Bible teaching where they'll say, well, Jesus did the to, to demonstrate this. I don't think that happened. I think Jesus always responded to needs and people. And from those responses came lessons to learn. But there's a lot of Christianity that treats everything as a lesson and there's not a lot of love and presence in it. But God's message through the interaction with people was, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. I'm not a Pharisee. I don't use people as good examples so you can learn a lesson. The way I love people and the way I heal people will show you how much I care and how powerful I am. And so we go into the next portion of John's Gospel where he he does this remarkable thing in the temple and Jesus doesn't behave very well. And many people would say Jesus would never do that. I think you do what you need to do. Take a current example that's a a pretty tricky one. The ISIS uh, fundamental Islamic movement that decides they're going to capture people and behead them in public to, to cause you to be afraid. Now, there's a point where you don't just go and get to pray for them. I mean, you can pray for them, absolutely. But there's a point where you also go, what are you going to do to stop people doing that? And somewhere along the line, you have to actually step in and do something. Not because you want to, but you have to. And what we see in the temple is what the side of God that is, um, he gets angry, he's passionate, and he'll stir things up if he has to. But I want to give some history to this in order for the, the present to make sense. So just try and stay with me for ten minutes while I give you a background. Because uh, I think it's quite important. What is the temple? The origin of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant took place when Moses was leading the people. And in that Ark of the Covenant, which was given to them uh, to house the Ten Commandments, there's a, let me describe it to you. God made a covenant with the children of Israel through his servant Moses. He promised good to them and their children for generations if they obeyed him and his laws. But he always warned of despair, punishment and dispersion if they were to disobey as a sign of his covenant, he had the Israelites make a box according to his own design in which to place the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments. The box or chest was called an ark. was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. The ark was to be housed in the inner sanctum of the tabernacle in the desert. That's when they were marching through the ark, traveled with them. And eventually in the temple when it was built in Jerusalem. This chest is, is known as the Ark of the Covenant. The real significance of the Ark of the Covenant was what took place involving the lid of the box known as the mercy seat. The term mercy seat comes from a Hebrew word meaning to cover, placate, appease, cleanse, cancel, or make atonement for. It was here that the high priest only once a year entered the Holy of Holies where the Ark was kept and atoned for his sins and the sins of Israelites. The priest sprinkled blood of a sacrificed animal onto the mercy seat to appease the wrath and anger of God for past sins committed. This was the only place in the world where this atonement could take place. It was a place for forgiveness and it was also a place of of God's presence. You can only understand forgiveness and why it was important if you understand that to be in God's presence with sin, which is rebellion or any kind of self, would absolutely cause us to die. I I don't know how we can imagine that. It's not God saying, I really like people groveling. It's him saying, I cannot even have relationship with you unless what is in you is dealt with. I warned you in Eden, actually. I warned you, don't do that. And you did it. Now you have polluted yourselves. And this has got worse and worse. It's a bit like AIDS. And my love is such that I want to make it possible for us to be reconciled. So I give you sacrifice. as a, in, Instead of you dying, an animal can die in your place. As long as it's a genuine symbol of your, your, your sorrow for what you're aware of. That's what he was doing. It's a bit like every time we are rebellious, we we leak gasoline. And when we try and get into the presence of God, we would just be fried. We would just go up in smoke. So he knows, because in him there is nothing wrong. There's no evil. So it's an impossibility for us to be in his presence without that being sorted out. It's called coming to him through the mercy seat, through forgiveness. And through the Old Testament, there was always this tension because it was about how do you behave? How do you keep the Ten Commandments? And God is a God who speaks to the prophets and he speaks. It's called a visitation culture where he visits people. He visits prophets and he speaks in and people are trying to behave and they're not behaving. And the Old Testament is is just a long story of a very patient God and a very rebellious people. And there's lots of violence and killing. Absolutely, because that's what... If you want to see what evil is like, look at the Old Testament. Don't blame God for it. Look at what evil does to people, because the root of all the root of all evil is not only money; it's people who want power and they want to dominate. That's what ISIS is about. It's all about twisted thinking and then power, because I want to be God. And so, in this culture of this tension of obedience and sacrifice, and how do we get right with God? But everything's so messed up. There's this desire to not only have sacrifice, but to know God's presence. And the Ark of the Covenant is the place where God has said, I will be present with you. And so they travel with that Ark in the desert, and then they, 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 they build a temple. And the first, there are three temples that are built in the Old Testament. The first temple is Solomon's Temple. I'm just going to use notes because it's easier, and I can get through it quicker because I want to get to something else. The first temple is Solomon's Temple. It was, it's, uh, I'm not going to do a lot of time on a Temple means big house. And there was plans given by God to David, but David was not allowed to build the temple because he was a warring man and he had blood on his hands. And so his son Solomon was to build the temple. And so Solomon built the temple. It was a building 90 foot long, 30 foot wide and 45 foot high. The walls were made of stone and lined with cedar. The roof was also of cedar and the floors were of cypress. And inside this building was the Holy of Holies and inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And that was where the priest went once a year to, to ask forgiveness for the sins of Israel. And God's presence was there. Nobody could go in there because they were afraid of dying in his presence. So they gathered around. That's why Jews today even, they go to the Wailing Wall. It's the closest they can get to the Holy of Holies, which doesn't exist anymore. But their concept of God is a visitation God who lives in a place. And so this temple was very important as the presence of God among the people, the only place where God was present in the world. Because God's heart from the moment of creation was, I want to walk on earth with my children. I want to actually share life with them. And so because of the rebellion, there was this kind of a strange relationship. So they kind of had to make do with the best they could. And so the presence was there in the temple. And the temple stood, uh, Solomon's temple was built in 587. It was ransacked and burned by King Nebuchadnezzar after 450 years. It stood for 450 years and then was uh, burned and broken down by Nebuchadnezzar, and they were taken into captivity in Babylon. Fifty years later, King Cyrus said, you, you can go back and build another temple. So Rebubbabel, it's a funny name, uh, so Rebubbabel in 537 came back to begin to build another temple, and that temple was in the same place. It's the same place as the Dome of the Rock. All of them have been built there. It's very, very symbolic, that place. And uh, they built Zerubbabel's temple, which was much smaller, much more modest. And they, did, they had lost the ark by this time. So they just had this temple that was used for 500 years. But over those 500 years, Jerusalem was plundered and the, the temple was, uh, was used for... Have I just run out? It um, was used for all kinds of uh, idolatry. Um, and it was uh, destroyed. It was plundered... Uh, 500 years later. Which brings us to the time of Jesus and Herod's temple. Now, Herod uh, built the third temple. You remember there's a psalm that says, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. The temple that Herod built, if you go to Jerusalem today, you see the remains of his temple. It was started in 20 BC, which is before Christ. It was finished around 70 AD, when Jesus walked in there and he spoke this. Uh, about, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. It was about 46 years. That's why they said, 46 years it's taken to build this temple to the place it is now. They would carry on building it for another 20. It was finished in AD 70. In AD 70, the Romans began to sack uh, Jerusalem, and in AD 76, at the latest, that temple was destroyed. Moses... uh, Herod had built that temple for a totally political reason. He wanted to liaise with the Jewish authorities and keep the peace of the people. So he, he, he gathered them all together and he, he funded the building of the temple. If you want a, a metaphor for saying don't mess with God and don't do things on his behalf, look at that temple. If God is not present and if God is not saying yes to something, it will not last. It can be the most ornate thing in the world. And when you deny God, we are just thinking of this, unfortunately. Port Alberni has churches as fish and chip shops, as restaurants, all kinds of things as a testimony against the people of Port Alberni to where they have not worshipped him. There's no polite way of putting it. It's actually very serious. That more than half the houses in Port Alberni, in other words, the places of worship are no longer. It would probably be something to kind of be quite frightened by in some ways. And if you go to the temple in Jerusalem, and I'm sure if one had stood there in Jesus' day, you would have looked around and said, there is no way that this thing could absolutely be destroyed. I've been there, you see these massive, massive stones. I mean, what it's built of. And yet it just crumbles around. There's nothing left now. There's the Dome of the Rock, and there's the uh, the temple, basically, to Muhammad. So I'm saying this to describe the journey of of people with God in this temple concept. And Jesus, John puts this in on the second the second occasion that what you know what Jesus is doing. He says, what does he say? He says. Um, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. But when John says that it was almost time to the Jewish Passover, you say, why is he saying that? Because Passover is sacrifice. Jesus is going to be the lamb. And in some ways you could even read that and say, at this moment, God came home. At this moment, God came into his house in the person of Jesus and looked around and reflected on what was happening to his house. And when he saw what was happening to his house he had no words to describe it other than to turn over the tables to take a whip and cast people out and say get these cows and goats out of here get out of here this is not a place for money changers this is my father's house. And they said well by what authority do you do this? And he says, destroy this temple in three days I will raise it. And they don't have a clue what he's talking about. So John says, the disciples only really understood this after Jesus had risen from the dead. Again, an example of if you're trying to find understanding through everything, you'll often find it later. And so there's a a, a scary side to this whole story, isn't there? But there's not a scary side as well. You see, all of this is about a God who desires to be present. And a God who gets very angry at things that get in the way of him being able to be present to his people. So when Jesus picked up the whip and he cast them out of that temple, he was doing it because he was. It's like walking into a room where your child is being abused and you catch the abuser. You're just going to stand there and say, Oh, don't do that. Most of you won't, I hope. Most of you would be a little bit more aggressive. Why? Because the person you love is being violated. And what Jesus was doing was saying, You are violating my children. They are trying to come to me, and you're making them pay for something you don't own. You're actually making them jump through a lot of hoops that I actually haven't given them to jump through. And you're profiting from it in my name. It's over. And Jesus went out and he did miracles and he began to, this is the transition from what some have called a visitation culture, which where, where God spoke through certain people, to a habitation culture, that God dwells among his people. They could be in the temple, they could go into the Holy of Holies, because the sacrifice was made by the blood once a year. After Jesus had gone to the cross... And after Jesus had laid down his life and his blood was shed, the lamb was slain, the blood was shed, he destroyed the need for the Holy of Holies. The veil was torn between, on the Holy of Holies so that all could come in and out. Stay with me. Are you with me? Yeah. What God was doing as he cleansed that temple, what God was doing through Jesus was destroying the need for the temple. He was beginning to say to human beings, he was saying, Your ability to keep commands because I've told you to keep them is pathetic. Think it nicely. Your ability to keep the the commandments is, is, is pitiful. Look through the whole Old Testament. The sacrifice is just sacrifice for your past behavior. You need a heart of flesh. You need a change of heart. You need something changed from the inside. It cause you to desire something else. And so Jesus goes to the cross and he lays down his life and he rises up again and then he sends his disciples out. And he's and what does he say to them after that? In John 14 he says, uh, anyone who obeys my voice and anyone who obeys my commands, my father and I will come in and live with him. What he's opening up is saying what? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is no longer a temple and a holy of holies. Now you are the temple. You are the temple in which God will dwell if he's invited. And human beings will once again come fully alive. How many of you had any say whatsoever in your birth? So where do we get ownership rights? Your life is a gift. And God says, your, your life is bought with the blood of Jesus. And you go, no, it's not. It's my life. Never heard of Jesus. How do we live? Do you own a home? When you own a home and you pay for it, you own it. Your life belongs to God. And he's not asking you whether you like that or not. He's just saying, I'm the creator. Without me, you wouldn't have life. The fact that you're not aware of it, I'm not there really accusing you of that. I'm just saying it doesn't change anything. So this story of coming into the temple in Jerusalem is really also the story of God knocking on every human being's door. Now, when you purchase a, a house that you intend to live in, do you purchase it sight unseen or do you go and check it out? Most of us check it out, right? Who's got this, that, a terrible condition? Oh, da, da, da. Do you understand that God has checked out your life? I mean, he has gone through everything. He knows everything. And having known everything, and some of our lives might look like little shacks, rat infested, dark places, hidden places, secrets. God has gone through them all and he comes back saying, I want to purchase that. There's not one person here that God hasn't placed enormous value on and has said, I purchased that life. And then he comes in. Now, when you go into a house that you've purchased, what do you do? You settle in. Very, very, very few people do that. They usually go, we want to paint, we want to adjust, we want want to renovate. We want to make it our home. And that's what God does. I mean, if I've got to stay in this temple, we need to do some work. So when we say to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, that's like opening the door and saying, please come in. It's the beginning of something, not the end of something. That's why it's so ridiculous for people to go, you know, yes, I asked Jesus. So when I knock on the door, I don't see Jesus. It's not Jesus who answers. You see, what God wants to do is say, I want my... There was a woman I saw in Jacksonville on a, on a DVD the other day, and she was going into these houses in Jacksonville that were totally derelict. They had numbers on to destroy them. And she said, we're going to go in there and be a Christian presence. So we go in. She said, I see the number on that house, and it's derelict, and it's actually said it's not habitable. And I just, she had tears in her eyes. She said, that's what Jesus did for me. I had a number on me and I was derelict. And he came and he renovated me and I want to do the same. It's very powerful. But you can tell the difference between the derelict houses and the ones that have been renovated. The ones that have been renovated have got bright paint on them. They look like somebody's been and they've done a lot of work. Which is what God desires to do in you and me. And Jesus comes into the temple. And he starts contending for us. And that's one of the reasons I want to encourage you. Some of us, we shut ourselves down all the time. If you want to hear what God is doing in you right now, listen to what's going on in your heart. And you'll have two voices. One will be frightened and want to run away or be angry. And the other one will be saying, I'm bringing this to your attention because I want to do this. And then we start saying, Lord, I, I, I contend against Satan. And he says, it's not Satan, it's me, silly. It's not Satan, it's me. You asked me to come and live in your life but there's this stink going on in your life and there's this going on and I'm coming in with a whip and cords not to beat you but to beat the one who's th- robbing you of it. And you keep asking me to stop it when there's no other way. I've got to actually be able to knock down some walls and do some painting and do some cleaning up. And you keep running out in the garden asking me to stop. Saying it's Satan, it's not Satan, it's me wanting to... Bring an answer to the prayers that you've prayed. God is not interested in coming in the front door, living in the front room, and having everything else destroyed. He's interested in restoring the whole of us. And he wants us to be so restored that when people knock on our door, they meet us, but they also meet Jesus. Because he lives there, and it's obvious he lives there. Because he lives there, it's obvious by our generosity, it's obvious by the way we talk about ourselves and about other people. It's, it's not about perfection, it's just you can smell the fragrance of Jesus. It's not about me being perfect, it's about me saying, Jesus is still working on me, but he is here. And Jesus' presence comes with a conscience, a conscience is one way he speaks to us. But if we keep dumbing down everything that's uncomfortable, we will never... No, God, what we will do is we will be spectators of Jesus. We believe in him and we watch him, but we don't house him. We are not temples. Peter talked about we are being built up like living stones. So God's presence now from the Old Testament is about living in human beings and making them into dwelling places of the Most High God. It's amazing. I mean, I don't even understand it other than you recognize the sound of it. It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. It looks like power to heal. It looks like hope in the midst of storms. It looks like strength. It looks like hospitality. It looks like generosity. It looks like everything that brings light. And he comes in so that that can be released. And Peter said, We are being built up like living stones. What does that mean? I say it every single week because I just believe it so strongly. We're being built up into living stones. The temple was not built with one brick. And the temple was not built with bricks that one said, I'm going to live over here and I'm going to live over here. No, they were bricks that had to come together to be built together. God loves you passionately. And he took that whip in the Jerusalem temple because he was so angry with the works of evil and the religious spirits that were robbing his people. And the only place that he is now present on this earth is in people who have welcomed him. And as he comes into us, then he begins to start renovating us and restoring us and renewing us and releasing us. That's what the testimonies are about. Testimonies are merely opportunities to talk about what God's been doing inside us. And sometimes it's violent if you come in and you, you come into somebody's life, if I'm God and I come in and I see addiction or I see all kinds of stuff that's crippling them, I'm not just going to go, oh, please leave. I'm going to say, I am going to contend for this temple right now. You are to leave. And it might sound violent. It might be violent for a while because it's going to be a wrestling match. And at that point, that's when we need help to say, don't bail, don't run away. Let God finish what he started. Does it make sense to you? Pay attention to what's going on inside you. Stop running away every time it gets hard. I think we have way too many support groups for people who are running. Just turn them around and say, go back. And focus on the love of Jesus that works in you. And you will see something transformed. Is this good news or bad news for you? I think it's good news. It's just a little rough it's um i mean we'll finish here it's, it's it's an invitation to let the world's greatest interior designer loosen in you look at it like that and begin to listen to the negativity in you and begin to start having a low tolerance for it Begin to stop being impressed with your own negativity. Begin to stop blaming. Begin to stop making excuses. How many of you are, are, are tired of your excuses? I mean, you just kind of, they roll off your tongue. We all are. But they roll off your tongue. It's like, here we go again. I know that if I say this to you, I'm going to get this whole thing along. da da da, 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 da. And you want to just say, stop it. I want to say something else, but I'm not allowed to. But I just go, stop it. Stop it. He wants to release things in you that you were built for but you don't you've never touched or dreamed of. It's just about him working in us. Let's ask him, shall we? Let's stand. And just as we stand, you know, what's God saying to you this morning about the habitation that you are? I just want to ask you here because you know, I I often do this almost every time I talk. I ask you to stand. And some of us, I I watch you, just totally disengage, And I want to call your name out and say, stop it. God's knocking on your door right now. And I don't want to stop, embarrass you. I just want you to, I just believe God's present. And I, I kind of want you to get it, whatever it is. And the only way we can do that is to stand and open our hearts and say, Jesus, I just want to listen to what you've been saying to me this morning and apply it. So this is the application moment. I'm just asking God's Spirit to apply it. I have no idea how he wants to apply it in you, other than I know that you're a temple that's still got work to do, as I am. So, Father, I just bless your word this morning. I speak against all fear. And sometimes we can grow accustomed to the muck around us. And I just break that in the name of Jesus. I ask for a revelation. You're a loving God who's coming into the temple that is our lives and and we think that you're going to come in and just go go ballistic. But you're going to come in and, and look at us and say, how did it get like this? My dear son, my dear daughter, how did it get like this? Talk to me. Will you let me begin to help you change this world? Will you let me help you begin to renovate? Let's clean some area here. Or maybe you're pretty smug and you're rocking on a chair in the front room and you're saying, welcome Jesus, we've been here for a long time. And he said, I am so tired of being in this room with you in your rocking chair. There's a whole house to explore and you won't let me in. So if you like, you can take a bunch of keys in your mind as a symbol and you can hand it to Jesus and you can say, here are the keys of everything in my life, some of the things I don't even know about. But I give you permission to make this temple, which is my life, something that will bring glory and honor to you and fulfill everything that you intended for me. And I'm excited and I'm terrified at the same time. Because there's so much more. There's so much more. So receive from Jesus whatever he wants to give you right now. And give to him anything you want to give him. Anything that is negative or resisting, you should give it to him. It's, It's worth doing. And I just break lies. I break discouragement. I break those voice, that voice that says nothing will ever change. I just break it in the name of Jesus. What will change is if I give Jesus permission to work in me rather than I try my best to do it. And Jesus, I ask that you come into my heart. You are in my heart, but I ask that you just breathe into me a new life, a new sense of expectation of what you're going to do at a deeper level, that will actually enable me to follow you and walk with you in ways that I would never have imagined. So I just bless the work of your Spirit and I give you permission to bring into my life people who can help me. And I also say, Father, that I want to help others as well. So as I receive help, I want to be one who can help others. And I'm no longer going to live in fear. I'm no longer going to live... In a sense of always trying to make excuses, I'm going to embark on a deeper adventure with you. And you're going to use my friends and my circumstances and everything that you can to help me to move in that direction. So I just bless that in Jesus' name. Thank you for each temple that's standing here right now. May you be housed in each one. And may the lights be on. And when People come into the person's presence. They just know that there's something different, that Jesus is resident here with his Father. And the best way to go away from a word like this is to say thank you. Don't go away thinking, oh, it won't work for me. Oh, God will never do this for me. Start saying, thank you, Jesus, that you're alive in me. Thank you that we're going to work some stuff out. Thank you that you love me, that you like me, and you're with me. So may that be true this week for us, Jesus. We bless that in each other in in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.